You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden. Today, we're talking about integrating play and story into your marriage for healing and fun. I'm talking so gratefully with Enneagram 3 and four couple, Steve and Lisa Call, because they are indeed relationship experts, and I can't wait to tell you about their services, but mostly, we are going to talk a little bit about their relationship dynamic, as well as, like I said, how to really play together and have fun together, and how to, I think this might have been my favorite part of our interview, really work on the stories that we tell ourselves about one another and our relationship. I've alluded to that and briefly mentioned it before. And some of you have stopped to ask me because you too were intrigued about the whole concept of storytelling and that the healthiest swan couples are those that can really speak well of the relationship and understand even the traumas and even understand the trials in narratives that allow for healing and grace versus things are terrible and they'll never change and that your spouse always had the worst intent. So I think that what we're going to learn from Steve and Lee said today, not only about their dynamic in their marriage, which I love when people are vulnerable enough to share both as experts, but also this element and then adding the play in too, you are going to have so much fun. Plus for me as a thinker, I always am looking for somebody who I can send couples to for relationship work on long-term bases. And I loved hearing that even though they book up fast, Steve has a great practice where he can do marriage intensives at his institute. So I'm super happy about that. We'll talk all about his services, but guys, they've been in the marriage world for even longer than I have, not only with their 34-year marriage, but also Steve has been teaching marriage and family and psychology and has not only a master's in theology, but also psychology as well as a PhD in psychology. So he has been teaching it for over 20 years. And so the funny thing about this is as a three, he's done so much of his work, he's just sharing. So I am having to tell you that he is this much of an expert. And so the humility that you're going to see and the kindness and the veracity and the goodness that comes from this interview with them as they lay down arms and truly share from the heart, I think you're going to love it. So looking forward to that. Funny enough, he also taught at the school where Jay Stringer went. So we recently had the Jay Stringer episode and he knows Jay and he's like, oh yeah, he went through our program. So super happy to get to connect with those who are leading and teaching sometimes from behind the scenes and also just thankful to see others working in the relationship field. It's such a cool field to work in. Speaking of which, make sure if you are interested in signing up for my Enneagram and Marriage certification that you know I've gotten new students starting on August 26. So looking forward to that for back to school fun together for those who want to take their relationship learning to the next level. We are having a total blast and we are finding ways to continually connect after class two for my current students. And I can't wait to share their information with you on my website. I'm just excited because I have a team and it's neat to see caring individuals who want to help couples and now have all the tools for Enneagram helping with couples. It just thrills me. There's just so many fun facets of learning never ends. And that's probably why I love it so much. But I also want to say I'm still doing my work. I always try to check in with you about every couple weeks to month to make sure you're doing yours as far as your instinctual work. So how are you doing with this? Are you feeling like you're hovering? 
discovering in your social or your self-preserving or your one-to-one instinct even more lately. I know I try to do that a little less and less and I am working very hard on it. I'm spending time with my husband almost every morning now at the gym before we do the breakfast. And it's so much more fun for me because the breakfasts have been so hard as I've shared on here to get me to just settle down that early when I'd rather write or work around the house or do some of my own work. But that's Wes's favorite time. And so when he asked me to work out with him at an even earlier time, I was thrilled. But it does make me have to get out and see people, even though it's our small community gym, it's still peopling. <laughs> and so how fun this is to find ways to gather new routes, whether they're social or one-to-one and you're used to self-preserving like me or other little facets where you might say family members or somebody I'm dating or just finding creative ways to spend time with your family, I think is the point here. Whether you're dating, married or not is try not to just slip into that one angle of, I always like to be with my friends. Who cares about my spouse? We talk a little bit about instincts on this episode today in terms of one of them being more social and one of them being more one-to-one. It just hits home when we start to look at one another's stories a little differently. So I'm trying to help you give yourself some grace with your story, but challenge yourself and then especially give your spouse grace with why they're that story. And it's not always easy to play together in marriage. And I'm going to share a funny story about instinct and playfulness in our marriages that I think relates to today's topic. My daughter, Hannah, who's a four, had tears almost rolling down her cheeks because we were cracking up so hard. We finally got back our pictures from our trip when we went whitewater rafting. And it was, (laughs) I thought we had done a great job. I had shared on my Instagram stories that Wes really wanted to do this. And it was definitely, obviously going to be a little hard for self-preserving in some ways because I was in mom mode too, like, Me and my kids have to go 15 miles away from any civilization without cell phones, but we have to be in a group with people and rely on people we don't know and, you know, take it to the next level as far as I'm not from out west and now I'm whitewater rafting down a big Arkansas river in Colorado. And it was just kind of a lot of those kinds of things. I said, this is what my husband wants to do for Father's Day. So I'm going to do it. And I probably will have fun, but I didn't know if I would. So on the way there, we're riding this old bus. And my husband just looked at me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Because I was totally in five mode. And almost like because I have the 749 tri-type, I was also totally in this nine place of like, I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to fall asleep. (laughs) Because I'm literally driving on a bus far away from civilization, (laughs) thinking of everyone hitting their head on rocks and just like, what are we doing? This is probably like some of you are laughing like you are so paranoid. It's so no big deal. But anyway, it was to me. And that's the thing about our instincts. It is to us. So there we get out. And the good news first thing was that the guy who is the guide was he was very skilled and he had a cross around his neck, which of course being mystical, I took as a sign (laughs) and I'm like, okay, good. And so he was able to tell us I've been down this river thousands of times. And so everyone here calls me a legend and everyone here, he said that as humbly as one can say that he was the pioneer. And so I was like, okay. And then it was just our family. So I'm like, okay, I know our family and I know my kids are athletic and I know that we'll take care of each other out there. But 
we get in and we're doing our best. And what happened was at one point I fell into the boat even farther, <laughs> like very self-preserving. And nobody knew I did because I didn't say anything. <laughs> so I felt like we were on the rapids. And I don't know if you've never been whitewater rafting. This was my first experience. They tell you when there's different parts coming up. Now we're going to see the red devil where there's this lightly red rock who's, you know, got a point or this is the shark fin. And now we've got to go through Calypso and there's these different spaces and you have to work and listen really hard as to what to do. So we, Wes fell into his issues a little bit too. Here I am falling down in self-preserving mode and actually thinking this is kind of nice for a minute because I fell in and I want to stay in here. But what happened? was as soon as I could get my bearings, I got back up or maybe a few seconds after. And so when we got the pictures back, Hannah was cracking up because she nobody could see me <laughs> in some of the pictures. So she was like, where are you, mom? And it was so funny because I'm like, well, I fell in and I stayed in for a couple extra seconds. <laughs> So it was awful because it's like all your seven drama laid out right there. Uh, but I have to say, I was really neurotic most of the time. And I was like, make sure everyone's doing it. And I was in my critical one space and telling Wes what to do. And then the because <laughs> he was in his one space thinking he knew better than the the instructor. And so <laughs> and so we were just a hot mess a little bit. And my son, who is seven-ish, wasn't getting to do enough paddling because he was so young. So he was a little sour. But we had such a good time. And the pictures that you see my face in and the ones you don't, it was just a blast. So actually, I highly recommend it if you're an adventuring type. But also be aware, your instincts, they're so sub-level that you you're not going to know that they are there. You're not going to try to do them. They're just going to happen to you and you're going to have to watch. So here I am thinking, I have to protect the family. I have to make sure my husband's listening to the instructor. The instructor's doing that to my husband. I'm falling in the boat and our kids are dealing with their stuff. My nine and I had planned the whitewater rafting trip because we didn't want to do the severe rapids. So we had planned the middle rapids. It was a really good experience for her and I too, because she was able to speak up and say, I don't want to be the one in the front and carry everybody because he thought she looked really strong. And she's like, that's not like I am strong, but I don't want to be the one leading this adventure. So my four daughter had to be in the front and she loved it. And she was looking like posing for all the pictures because she's like, there's a camera right in front. So we were laughing because she looked like that commercial for whitewater rafting in her four motif. So I think everybody had a bit of a an instinctual experience. And afterwards, we had to all talk it out. And my husband had to say, hey, like, I definitely knew I wasn't always listening, but I was trying to balance out with our daughter who's a four in front. And I was trying to make sure we were paddling at the same time. And so it was funny to hear everybody's take on why they were in their modes, but we all gave each other a lot of grace. You guys are in your world when you are doing crazy things you never thought you would do because your spouse is so different from you or that they're now different and you didn't think they were different before because they've changed. So all kinds of stuff happens if you stick around long enough. And I'm just so excited you get to hear from Steve and Lisa Call because they have stuck it out at the beginning and now they're in these middle years and hopefully they'll have many, many more years of marriage. So I'm excited for you to hear from them. I'm going to share their pictures and stories and information so you can connect with them if you like, but let's listen to them tell us even more 
beautiful reminders about sharing stories together and playing together in our marriages. Steve and Lisa, I'm so excited to have you guys today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. We're very excited to be here. We are. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege. It's really exciting to have a conversation with you. Oh, you guys too. You guys have been doing some amazing work and I can't wait to talk even more in depth about the three, four glow today, but also so importantly, the topics of play and story to marriage. I was just excited this morning as I spoke to a couple about our show today because I knew that they needed it. So I know everyone listening really needs this topic, but first I want to make quick mention that recently I had Jay Stringer on, who's also part of a three, four marriage. And I'm just hearing now from Steve that you you know Jay, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Jay was actually a student uh, at the school that I teach at, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, uh, years ago. So it was really fascinating to, to hear his voice again and uh, listen again to his, his wonderful work and his writings. Uh, that, was, that was just a small world, you know, <laughs> that that happens so often in this work. Oh, that's just amazing. I love that. And now we get to delve deeper into the three, four dynamic, but also I just want to hear about you guys. Cause that's intriguing to our audience that you taught at that school and teach there. So tell us more about you guys and your work. If you don't mind guys. Sure. You bet. Well, Lisa and I've been married 34 years. Uh, we actually mm-hmm. met high school. Uh, so we dated off and on from our junior year, I think it was, uh, all the way mm-hmm. through college. And then we were married right after we graduated from college in 1986. And we're, you know, it's such a, a privilege to do marriage work. Lisa and I started what's called the Reconnect Institute uh, about a year ago. And we, we really consider it a privilege to be a part of people's lives and especially in marriage. And, you know, we truly believe that marriage is meant to be a, a, a grounds, a hope for redemptive interactions and relational experiences. And so uh, we, we just love having conversations like this and, and, and bringing hope and I think goodness to what marriage is meant to be. Wow. I'm so glad to hear that. And it's also amazing for us to have a couple on you guys are still acting young and fun. And it's neat for people to have hope to see 34 years of marriage goes by fast. Um, and you guys are still now pouring into others. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think a lot of it came from our experience. We got married young and I don't know, back in the eighties, there weren't as many opportunities for people to grow and to acknowledge all different sorts of things. So we went through many oblivious years of (laughs) struggles now that we look back on, you know, the complications and Mm -hmm. even understanding our own stories and how they impacted us. And so we kind of lived through a lot of struggle without much help. And so I think now that we're kind of on the other side of it, we've found some ways that, that we were really helped and we were really impacted and grew our relationship in a way that, you know, it was really quite amazing how the transformation happened. And now we can look back and go, wow, we would have had this when we were young. So I think that's what our ministry really is born out of just wanting to help people to maybe avoid all of that. Mm. All that was so unnecessary in a lot of ways because we just didn't understand how we were being impacted Mm. by our stories, by our Enneagram numbers, you know, just all of that is just such a gift to couples right now. And, and so Mm. we love to be part of that healing force that that we've been able to come across later in life, but we're, we're so thankful for that. 
Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm with you. And I understand the gravity of your words as well, because I come from a space of a lot of regret in the things we've tried, even as a marriage helper, you just don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah. it on the intellectual level, but you just don't know it on that deep level. So I think it means more to our audience when people come on and are real, because some of the people listening are young and are going to learn from our mistakes, but some of them are just like us tough and <laughs> going to have to walk through them too. Yeah. So at least they know you've been there. Plus, I mean, come on, the 80s movies didn't help you through relationships. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing really in the 80s. Nothing did. Was helpful in the 80s. <laughs> well, and, and not only the 80s culture, but also 80s Christianity. You know, there's yeah. just a lot of difference now in what we, you know, thought we believed and what we thought we had to do. And just, mm-hmm. there's so much. So, <laughs> yeah, love to see here. Yes. Love to see you grow and you're growing in Christ, but yeah, we're all kind of laughing at ourselves and groaning. So you guys are awesome and love that you have that background of, you know, theology, but also, as you said, psychology. And so it sounds like you have developed such a passion for teaching couples how to play as well as how to tell a healthy story together. So I want to ask you about that in a few minutes, but first I want to quickly check in with you guys about your relationship as Steve is a three and Lisa's a four. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Okay. Well, maybe you guys can tell me a little bit about that. When Jay was on talking a little bit about it, as you know, he related to it, but we were talking about something else. So tell me a little bit more about what that three, four dynamic has been like for you guys. Yeah. And and the dynamic too is more complex because he's a three, four and I'm a four, three, you know, the, Mm -hmm. so I think we Mm -hmm. fluctuate and we <laughs> go in between the three and four so often that now more and more we're recognizing that. And it's really this dance of boldness and confidence and then just deep, deep, you know, shame and mm. have I done? And, you know, so I think we play off of each other in that. So one of us is, you know, really their confidence is built up. And I think three fours have a lot of passion, have a lot of desire to you know, create safe spaces for people and to explore the darker, you know, side of what's going on and and yet, and then to bring that out to people, you know, as the achiever. And then this whole shame of like, oh no, what if we're not good enough? What have I, mm. what have I done? And, you know, so it's just yes. this constant fluctuation. And, you know, then we have our, one of our meltdowns and we're like, why are we even doing this? You know, but then I think, mm. well, well, who wants to hear about marriage? If someone, if they just get along all the time, you know, so, so it <laughs> exactly. gives, you know, insight into, well, okay, we messed up again. Here we go. So, mm. you know, I think we both have a desire to, to create that and to bring that out for others. And so we give each other confidence and boldness and mm. um, yes, I, I don't think I just would describe it as the dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I would say that where we struggle is is in both the goodness of creativity, uh, but also in the complexity of it, meaning that that we're so driven to create, we are so driven, uh, and, and I know truly for me, to, to create, to build, uh, to, to achieve. I mean, that unfortunately, unfortunately, that was how I was noticed in my own story of mm-hmm. if I achieve, uh, then I'm noticed. Uh, if I produce, then I'm noticed. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think that is true for both of us in that way that, that we, um, we'd love to create, but we also know that that can that can be a slippery slope for us of, of when we're not creating or when something isn't what we thought it might be. We I think the fear is we lose connection 
so there, there are simple moments, you know, I might, I might um, go, I don't, this is a silly example, <laughs> but like raid the driveway uh, for, for, uh, for where we live and with the hope that Lisa would notice. And when she doesn't notice uh, what I offer, I think that's where we struggle uh, is that we long to be noticed and, mm. uh, and reminded that we are chosen. And I think sometimes uh, in everyday moments of life, we, we lose sight of that. And that's, I think that's some of the complexity uh, that we struggle mm-hmm. with uh, in our marriage at times. Mm-hmm. I think in the best case, mm. you know, it, you know, I think for like, as of where I have this, you know, um, passion for, dreaming and mm-hmm. creating something in my head like okay this is how it's going to be and then I share it with Steve and and sometimes he gets overwhelmed because my dreams go on I don't know <laughs> but but if he can cra- grab hold of one of those yeah. then he'll just think oh okay then we can do this so he's like the achiever so he, so I put the dream out there and then he makes it happen you know and so in the perfect world that's in the perfect world, that's yes. where we have been able to really you know do some great things you know we've been able to do this big move up here and, and build a house and build a barn and have create a place for couples that can come. And, and so, but then on the other, the flip side is we both just want to be noticed, you know, and when we don't get noticed or we don't get noticed how we want to feel noticed, then we just kind of can shut down and, mm-hmm. and we withdraw. withdraw. And I think we both have similar stories where um, for whatever reason we needed to be noticed and didn't get noticed. And so it, it, again, it's just that whole side that just lead us down if we're, we aren't careful, if we're not aware. And I think, you know, the awareness is what's so key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too, you guys. And you said that well, that in addition to the truth speaking and the authenticity you want to bring, that you guys in your own marriage dance, you want to be noticed by one another. And I think that that's great because you're probably both going to lean in a bit there and say, yeah, me too, which is awesome. But you're also, like you said, what if you want to be noticed at the same time and neither can really give because you're feeling depleted. So I think with when we have two people in the codependency slash heart slash feelings triad of the Enneagram, we have to then say, all right, it's time to dig in with that self-care. And I would imagine over the years, that's been a huge part of you guys, not only balancing the idealism of the four and the pragmatism of the three, but also of just building yourselves up. Is that true? I think so. I think we're still, I mean, believe it or not, 35 Mm -hmm. years later, we're still learning Mm -hmm. how to even be honest. You know, I think back again, in the 80s, like we didn't speak our mind like people do now, our kids, you know, they just say what they want to say. And it's so amazing. But Mm -hmm. we're just still learning that, like, this is what I need from you. This is what makes me feel special. This is what makes me feel noticed. Mm -hmm. We still don't have that down. And and we're getting more and more free with Mm -hmm. that. And I think it's, and then we're responding, you know, but Mm -hmm. that's something that I think the culture now, they just kind of do that. And Mm -hmm. We've really had to learn that it's counterintuitive for us. Yeah, I would say the self-care piece of what we need apart from one another sometimes can be difficult. Uh, that mm. will you be okay if I need to go fly fishing for a week? Uh, Lisa's w- wondering, will I be okay if she goes spends a weekend away? I think that uh, the attachment piece that we both long for uh, mm. around, you know, the security, safety, being remembered uh, apart from one another. So I think that's where some of the tension lies for us. And, mm-hmm. Uh, care for one another is is offered sometimes apart from one another, and that's that's a difficult tension. I think that mm-hmm. that we're in at times. Yeah, thanks for being honest about that, and I actually think that's beautiful and hard at the same time because I don't think that 
okay, this is so theoretical that it's, it's not real, but it's my own theorizing that the people in the heart triads are a little bit closer to perhaps the original intent for relationships. There's such a bonding and a security. And when you read attachment theory, it almost feels like you're talking about twos, threes, and fours and how they attach. And so if anyone's familiar with emotionally focused couples therapy, who's a listener, and I know you guys are nodding, um, of course, you know, this is, you know, what we're all kind of supposed to be doing, but I think the other six personality types in some ways we've kind of strayed away from that. So you guys are right and good that you want to lean in so hard and care for each other's emotional needs, but then I hear you say the other side of that struggle. And I'm sure every heart type listening can say it's exhausting when you're paying attention to these little nuances. And sometimes you just need to be getting your own self-care. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is exhausting. There's uh, a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of feelings at times. And, we, and, and, and I think sometimes it's hard to give ourselves the freedom to say, how about if we pause or how about if we, you know, take a break, how about if we are intentional yeah. about not exploring, you know, this or exploring that. So uh, there are moments where it's it's beautiful and wonderful yeah. and 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 the the sense of yes the attachment piece of safety security trust uh availability i mean all those are important in the attachment experience and and sometimes lisa's not available and and i think as a three mm-hmm. that that can that can be not not that there's a panic button but it can be something like that of when you when she goes away literally but also emotionally, there, there is, I think, as a three, a sense of where are you? Where did you go? Do you remember me? And and I think that's one of the most difficult parts in being a three is sometimes the facade is I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, I don't need I don't need X, Y, or Z. I don't need. And yet uh, at a core depth, there is a sense of but I do need. So the vulnerability, I think, for a three is is really difficult at times that and that's where we get in trouble. I think that's where we have. Um, very significant moments of conflict, tension, distance uh, is that some sometimes it appears to Lisa that I don't need. And I think that's been hard for us relationally at times. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And I know that as a three, you're very soft underneath and she knows this. So it is counterintuitive, but luckily with knowing that and with Enneagram work, you guys can say, hang on, I know that he's saying the one thing, but in truth, he's trying to be strong for me. But the truth is, as soon as I get my self-care, he does need me to come back. And that's the good news with the anyone with a four is when you do give them that time and space, they will come back to you and you're going to be able to have all the important deep conversations. So that's the beautiful part. Even as an aggressive assertive stance, like you are an I am Steve, when we're working with our fours um, and you maritally in mind a, a, a teenager, you have to give that time. And I love that you're trying to, but we're all admitting here, even as long-term marriage helpers, that it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing struggle. I would say a lifelong struggle, you know, and yes. that the beauty of this moment and this work is that we become aware and, mm-hmm. and we're intentionally curious to think of, Hey, what's going on for you? And, and there's space to name what it is that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not as quick to say, <laughs> You just don't get it. I'm, I'm out of here. You know, I think for so many years, it was just, you don't understand. You don't know what I need. And just belaboring that and talking about it over and over and just not understanding, not being able to connect. And, and so to have language for it, to have awareness through, you know, through your work, through Enneagram, through all different, you know, categories of understanding how we operate and how we operate together and it's just so helpful. It's so helpful. Mm. And it just, yeah. yeah. So thank you for what you're doing too. It's really, really powerful. I'm so glad. And I loved learning from you guys on your podcast, which we'll share more about at the end today, but 
they really talked about how you guys, and you just mentioned it a little bit now, Steve, that you guys really like to make sure that you are leaning in intentionally, but also just pausing. Is that right? To hear one another out in the moment and to be curious versus jumping in with my new Enneagram knowledge or this new tool I found, just pausing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the most powerful part is being able to set aside what I'm thinking about me and, and we're learning to go, okay, tell me more about you. Because, you know, even through the child raising years where you just don't have literally the time to finish conversations and literally the time to just work through things. We're we're kind of, you know, our kids are almost grown. We have one more in the house Mm -hmm. and we have time to finish those conversations. Well, what did you really mean? How did you really feel about that? And so taking time to be more intentional about truly understanding the other, Mm -hmm. I think is a lot of, you know, what Steve brings through his teaching and, and what he does with couples is just helping them to sit back a little bit and to listen to the ending, not just assuming you know what the other person's feeling or thinking. And um, yeah, there's something about this uh, the sense of being intentionally curious that that I think for us has been a, a I don't know if it's a groundbreaker, but it has this foundational component of oh, where has that been historically for us? I I, I just think that for some reason that it wasn't always on our radar. It wasn't always this awareness of. Oh, that's how you cultivate connection. Oh, that's how you seek to be understood and understand the others through curiosity. So I, I just think that for us has been very transformative. And well, hang on, what do you mean by that? Oh, I, I don't quite think I understood. I think those are ways that we are just putting maybe more into practice uh, through the last even few years for us in our marriage. Hmm, that's really neat. Were you going yeah. to add anything? Oh, I was just going to say, I think both of us growing up, we, we came from wonderful families, but I think we both felt not understood or not, mm-hmm. like for me, it was more of the emotion, lack of emotional presence. And so I, then we found each other and, it, and it's just the temptation is to go, oh my gosh, let me tell you everything I'm thinking because you understand, you know? And so it's the temptation is to want to take all the airtime, each of us like, but I feel this and I feel that. And, <laughs> and so, yeah. So I think just the other side of the curiosity, we're learning to step back. Okay you have something to say too, you know, and I really want to hear what you have to say. And so I think there's a really natural attraction between fours and threes. I see a lot of fours that are younger wanting to heal the wound they see in the three. And I see them also looking to the three to heal their wound of feeling and deficient. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's beautiful that you found that, but then you had to still find there's still going to be some deficiencies because yeah. we're not perfect. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love it though. You guys, thank you for explaining that to us even more of how you can hold one another. And I know we could talk all day about how there's so many components of these dynamics with different stances, but we've done some of that on this show already. So I hope our listeners can go back for those episodes because now I want to get with you guys about, even as we're talking about play and narrative today, um, I feel like we're leaning into the narrative conversation because you're telling us, hey, being curious is part of our storytelling with each other. Can you tell me more about how you incorporate and want to encourage our listeners to use storytelling in their marriages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the work I think that I do clinically, but also that Lisa and I do uh, in the marriage work is is so much of how we live relationally. I think even for us, Lisa and I, and and for all of us, is it's so connected to our own story, and story meaning the narrative, the the story of of how 
we grew up in our family and the way that shapes us and models and modeled for us the ways of engagement uh, styles of relating in our marriage, you know, whether that's conflict or play uh, or need. I, I just, I, I, it feels like every day it becomes more clear, but, oh, that, that's what it's connected to. Oh, that's part of the story. Uh, you know, and, and it happened this last weekend, you know, we were away for a weekend playing together to celebrate Lisa's birthday and, mm. Uh, there, there Happy was a, birthday! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and and there was a moment where where I would just say I was distracted. I was I was busy thinking about something else. We were on this deck overlooking the river, and Lisa was trying to share something, read something, and I was watching the river. And I think you that, were watching that that guy was fly oh, yeah, fishing. Was he guy. wasn't supposed to be fly fishing. <laughs> well, just, <laughs> Wait a minute! I want to be doing envy. that. I think there was just envy of this guy <laughs> in the river, and Lisa was trying to have this conversation and create connection, and I wasn't paying attention, and I. I think like in that moment, two things happened. I think one is you, you were hoping to be noticed and I wasn't responding. And and for me, I think where what got triggered was this sense of I, I didn't, I did the wrong thing. I wasn't doing the mm. right thing. And so there, and for me, in my story was it wasn't okay to do the wrong thing. It, relational connection was built on doing the right thing. And so that would be an example, I think, of of how our story, my story in particular, and Lisa's story in particular, that the intersection of those two is, is such an important part of paying attention to what happens in our marriage that sometimes we're just not even aware of. That's a great point because if you're not asking what was your story that brought you to this disappointment, then you're going to miss the history and then you're going to feed in another untrue story about what was going on within your partner's framework, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I truly believe that that's the bedrock of our our work is just helping couples to go back and to tell those stories to each other. They there has been some really significant stories that that we have told each other and have completely impacted how we respond to one another. I remember a story Steve told. He grew up in a family that a military family where they moved almost every single year. So I think he went to like 10 different schools or something. Which that alone is powerful, right? And he was telling me one time because we were we we a lot of in a lot of our marriage we struggled with how much time to spend with other couples. I was always wanting to, you know, have more time. And he was like, why not? We're just the two of us. How about we go out? You know, and so, we have with people all the time. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> gathering people. Yeah. And, and so we were constantly having this struggle. And it was just at some point we were just throwing up our hands like, oh, what, what, why do we keep going round and round about this? And for some reason he started off on a story or I don't even know how we got to it, but he was telling me about when he was a kid and he was, you know, again at a new place, a new school. And his mom said, why don't you go find somebody to play with? And so he was knocking on doors and, and not, you know, having any luck, just open the door and nobody's there, whatever, go to the next house, knocking on the door. And this, just this image mm-hmm. of him as a child, knocking on the door, looking for somebody to, to be with and being disappointed and feeling like I've just put myself out there again. And, and just feeling that rejection. I don't, I don't know what, it's not specific, but it's just that picture of that story of him just softened my heart. Like, oh, okay, he just needs to be okay with what's happening right now with us and to not be pressured into, can you go knock on some more doors? You know, can you go find some more people? <laughs> you know, the pressure of that, whatever, however, it's not really logical or realistic, but it's just that image. Mm-hmm. So I think it just softened my heart enough to go, wow, okay, that's important too. You know, I'm not, and I kind of changed my stance that I'm not going to just keep trying to convince you that this is what we need to do to be happy. We need to have, you know, more people in our life. We need to cultivate this, cultivate that. And so those kind of stories, I think, are are just, 
there's nothing behavior modification, you know, that, that you can do to create that sort of opening in your heart when you just see your spouse in a new light. And I think stories have the power of that. Mm-hmm. They do. Ooh, wow. That was well said, Lisa. And it's really a great reminder for everyone listening to think about their spouses with that light of your different instinctual stackings, if you will, whether you're more social or one-to-one or time to yourself to just say to yourself, why is my spouse this way? And instead of making fun of them saying in your own mind, let me paint a picture or asking them, help me paint some of the picture for me. Because I'm sure as you know, Stephen, Lisa, a lot of people don't want to paint that picture for their spouse. So sometimes we have to paint it for ourselves because they're not interested in going back to that painful place. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I, I, and I think again, for most of us, it's just sometimes when we have this imagery around saying, I do, it, it's that I do is to the chapter of, of our marriage. And we're not really wanting to be connected to our own past story. And I think that's such a such a difficult part of our work is, is being intentionally curious around stories so that it creates a sense of awareness of, oh, that's what's happening for you. Oh, okay, now, like, I love that imagery. It's painting a picture, like you said, like putting more clarity, more color, more definition, uh, so that it maybe isn't as blurry as, as what, it, it was, what it seemed like before. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I think half the battle is just helping couples understand that, you know, maybe you you got married and you just kind of wanted to leave all that behind. That was painful. But to realize that whatever those stories were, they're impacting you on a daily basis. They're impacting you as a couple. They're, they're playing a part. The more that you're unaware of their impact, the more power they have. And so as we share those, I think you share one story and you realize, oh, okay, that, that actually was helpful. Yeah. And yeah. And, but, but I also would say, I, I don't think it, at least for us, it's as if we share a story one time and then all is well, and, and there's all this clarity and understanding. I think it takes n- a number of times, you know, if you, maybe a couple months ago, we, Lisa and I were in a moment of tension conflict and, and I was done. I just withdrew. I, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't a helpful response, but I, I just walked away. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately that triggered again for Lisa, part of her story that, that when there was difficulty and tension, uh, her own mother would just retreat and hide and close the door and there was no access. And, and that, it's not that I'm not aware of that. It's that I've heard that story, but I think the more that we share the way in which that impacts one another, I think that's what creates the sense of, oh, I, I, I don't want to replicate that kind of harm or that kind of distance. Mm. So there's this intentional, hey, hang on, when you withdraw, this is what's familiar for me. So I think that's part of our, our dance at times is, yes, we're aware, but, but how do we also move toward one another in the midst of that? Yeah. And you're making me understand even more that people's stance work. Lisa used the words, my stance changed. And I was thinking about it, how interesting she used a word we use in Enneagram work a lot, but it's like, we're literally saying in marriage, sometimes we're trying to change our instinctual sequences, our stances, our triads a little bit, because if you're rubbing up against somebody, you have anger issues, you're with somebody in the anger triad or shame and vice versa. I liked how I was thinking she's a four and she's an idealist, but as you told your story or she pictured Steve's story in her head that she said, my, my vision was changing. And so what's happening is not only is she becoming a little more pragmatic as their glow is rubbing off on each other, but I think what's happening is she's still an idealist, but her ideals are changing instead Mm -hmm. of it being to have fun as a couple, we always have people over it's 
sometimes that's true. But many times when we're trying to have fun as a couple, it means that I'm a safe holding place for the one-to-one. So Steve doesn't have to feel like knocking on other doors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really well said. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Oh man, I'm just happy to hear you guys are doing such good work. And I know, like you said, better late than never. We're always wanting to grow, right? Yeah. And I just want to say also, as far as telling stories, I don't think he knew, okay, this is a story that I'm going to tell you because it's going to impact you. I think, I think we have to draw the other out in stories. I'm probably just kept asking. And then that story just came out because I know he wasn't planning to tell me mm-hmm. even, he didn't even really remember it probably. So I think it's the, a lot of times the burden falls on the, the other to say, tell me, you know, what, what happened? How were your parents in conflict? What happened to you? What did you feel like when your parents were having conflict? Or, you know, begin to draw them out because I don't think, you know, we're necessarily always aware of the stories inside of us. And so to have the other drawing those out and just, you're just telling a story and you don't even know what the impact's going to be. So it's not like, okay, couples go out there and figure out what story you want to tell your spouse. It's not really that. It's more about, again, about curiosity. You don't know what stories are going to come up, but maybe this area is something that you're with. So you kind of ask, what was it like for you? Because there's, you know, in your childhood, it's so formative. You're so open and you're not judging it. You're not making sense of it yet. So it's very raw. And when you can access those, then I think that's, again, that's where the power is. And Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I just want to add real quick that I think right here, our listeners need to know, and I'm just so fascinated by this topic, guys, you're, you're really doing an amazing job to teach this to couples. I'm blown away. But I want to say that to the those trying this out, and I know some of our listeners are eager and running over to do this right now, even um, hang on, guys, one second, I want you to make sure that you don't shame the person's extended family in the retelling, because that's very important that we understand that the palette we're painting on has not just been started by us, or I think most of us like to think it was started one generation back, (laughs) but it's been going on for thousands of years. And so for us to just judge that one generation back of what a B your mom was, or your dad was just a complete jerk. We're never talking to them again. That's going to shut your partner right down. Cause that's everything to their survival. And I just don't think we know that as young couples. So sorry, I wanted to interrupt. No, that's real really quick. good. So, really good. So helpful. I think that's a very, very good reminder and invitation of be careful and be kind in the way we reflect and tell story. I, I think we can tell story and reveal how we're impacted uh, but not necessarily with a sense of having to blame or even judge. Uh, and so I think being aware of impact in, from our story is, is an essential piece. Right. Yeah. And if you're tempted to, to do that, tell a story about your parents growing up, you know, like, oh, I that's think, good. you know, with our, with my family, emotions were off limits. We avoided conflict. Oh, wow. But then when I tell a story about my mom and her growing up, you know, she had a brother that drowned hmm. in front of the family while they were camping. And they never talked about it. Oh. And, and so that alone gives the story to, you know, my growing up that I'm bringing along. So there's always a story and it's easy to just want to say, well, they, you know, they didn't do it right. But just to, to people have that, you know, that openness to, wow, everybody has a story that they're having to deal with, that they're having to dance around. So mm. 
Thank you for sharing that. I just had a listener tell me they were listening to the show generationally, that there was a mom, grandma, and a daughter in the car listening. So that brings us reminders that there's healing at every level. Opportune (laughs) moment might be right now to do that healing. But at the same time, sometimes we do need boundaries when we say, okay, for whatever reason, that person's story is a trigger. I need a break. That's okay too, to say to your spouse, Yeah. Like listening to the story makes me take a step back, but at the same time, I understand that family member has had trauma so that it's still, we can still figure it out together if we do need some boundaries, but I love this. And I think our listeners are going to be asking these questions a lot more. I also heard you guys say that when you took your vacation just now that you, and you brought play in. And as you remember me saying, Wes, my husband said, I really want you to do an episode on play. And I'm like, Oh, we are. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about how couples can incorporate play or maybe how you do. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, again, as we grew in our marriage, this became more apparent for us that a primary way that we connect is through play. I, I just remember when we were in high school and then when we were in college that that there's just something so connecting about play. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, it, 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 I mean, we're born into this world, I think, with a sense of being able to play. And I, I think when we play, uh, it sends the message that nothing else matters, uh, that you matter, I matter, we matter. And uh, we've been intentional about it. We've been intentional with in our own marriage, but also in the, in the people that we've worked with in our workshops is that play is to me, and I think is to us, it really is a healing balm uh, at times in, in, in this life together where we're so busy and preoccupied and there's so many external constraints and limitations. And I think play is just, a, it's, it's, a, I think for us, an essential ingredient uh, in the way that we connect in our marriage. And, and, and I would say that sometimes when we talk about play or we imagine play, it, they're, they're, they don't have to be big, complex, always thought out moments. They can be spontaneous, uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, walk the driveway, play a game, sit down on the couch mm-hmm. for a few minutes. I mean, their play isn't, doesn't have to be this, which is why I think sometimes we want to have a conversation like this, because sometimes it can seem like it's, it, it has to be extreme or big or large. Mm-hmm. Or say, no, play is, players just, can just be these moments of connection, rituals of connection that, that we're intentional about as well, that, that we, I, I think we've called them pocket, pocket moments. And mm-hmm. where are the 10 minutes? Where are the 10 minutes to play, to connect? Uh, and, and being intentional again about, for some of us, play uh, seems off limits because of our story that, uh, there was play was never even you know, blessed or honored or encouraged. And so I think that's also part of how we talk about play and the play is to be again, aware of what is our story around play. Mm-hmm. I think when you said pause, you know, sometimes we get so complex and explaining our feelings and all of this. And, and then you, you know, you said it's time to pause. And I think that's a moment to play when, okay, we've talked about, we've done what we could right now and we're both exhausted Mm-hmm. What can we do that would just be, you know, enjoyable? Like, can we just go out, go out for ice cream? You know, can we just go, go get coffee and walk around the lake? You know, just something that is, you know, doesn't have an ending, you know, a, a product ending that we need or something that we have to do, but just something that is open-ended, that's enjoyable for both of us. A lot of times just going out to eat is kind of our play. We, <laughs> we like to try certain restaurants and, and that's fun. And, and there's no conversation about logistics. There's just like, let's just go and eat good food, you know, and that's play yes. for us, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Steve mentioned walking the driveway. Like we have a long driveway up our property. And 
So for a while, right after work, that was kind of the first thing we did. Well, one walk's driveway. Okay. And it's kind of our just way to unwind after the day and just a ritual where we kind of know that's where we're going to have time to connect and just open-ended again and just enjoy the beauty of nature. And, and so play can look like that. Also, it can look like planning a little getaway. And I think somebody encouraged us to do that early in our marriage, maybe right before we got married, mm-hmm. to make sure that we take time away. And I know a lot of couples maybe don't do that for whatever reason. You know, they don't have childcare or whatever. But to us, it's so vital to get away from, mm-hmm. you know, the normal everyday activities, to get away from being a parent, to getting away from all your, mm-hmm. you know, chores and things that you need to do and just get in another environment. You know, even if you can't go overnight, go for the day and just be somewhere else together. And it's kind of like reliving that dating time. I think if people are wondering, what is play? You know, well, think about what you did when you were dating. Everybody mm-hmm. played when they were dating. That was what that was what dating is, really. You're just killing time together. You know, you're just, you lose track of time. We would lose track of hours together. And so play can look like all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, that's really insightful. And I think that many of us get lost, especially threes, sevens, people with these not just the vision, but the, the attitude of, I need to carry out everything I ever wanted to do right now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. almost ask what is play. So I love that Lisa's clarifying it and grounding us with it Mm -hmm. and saying, here's how you make it happen. Even if you are that couple that can't do the getaway, because yes, it's an essential, but when we can't get to those essentials for whatever reason, even a quick walk can reset your brain between work and the dinner time chores and the rush. And I know we all can relate as couples who even maybe before children, but especially after that kind of five o'clock or six o'clock bewitching hour. <laughs> exhausting moment. Yes. Those to play and to connect. Those are, I would say, yes, those are the difficult hours in our marriage. Yeah. And, and, and if you haven't seen each other, you know, you come home from work and you, you haven't, and if you don't have those moments to just go, hi, I see you. And you just jump right into the dinner time and then the bedtime. And, mm-hmm. and so then you do that over and over day after day, yes. pretty soon you're like, wait, what, you know, who are you? And do I even enjoy you? And so yeah. even though it feels like it's taking time out to just give your, give your, you know, Steve writes the prescription for some couples oh, you know, play for 15 minutes, you know, three times a week. Yeah. So it's so essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of it as like the antibiotic sometimes, you know, when we're struggling and there's conflict and tension and disconnect that it's really hard to cultivate safety and connection without play. So like those 10 minutes for us historically, and even recently, and even now as of today are, are essential for us in the ways that we try to stay connected in our marriage. I really agree. And I think when you have a four, you have to take time. There's no substitute for time in any marriage, but especially if anyone's listening, who's with a four or who is a four is you're going to need some time to pull away together. And then, as you guys said earlier, to let Lisa have a little time to herself as well. My four explained it to me this morning. She said, I think the reason I need time is just because I take the world in with textures that I need extra time even to know what I'm feeling. So I can just imagine. And I'm glad you're saying this as a different pairing than Wes and I, because people are always like, oh yeah, one in seven, that's what you need. But everybody needs this. 
Mm-hmm. And we can all get lost. Even me, I get lost in this and my husband needs to be seen and noticed daily. And those little moments are the biggest for him. He doesn't mm-hmm. need a date night as badly as me, but he needs to be noticed every morning for breakfast. He needs to be noticed every time he steps in from work, whenever we're at home, um, mm-hmm. because sometimes we're, you know, teenagers, but it's so important that you guys listening, take in those moments as very key and as everything, because Steve and Lisa have a 34 plus year marriage now, and yes, they've learned new things in these new years, but they've had to cling. I'm sure over the years to a lot of these rituals of connections, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I think without them, I, it, it would have been, uh, would have been really difficult for us. Yeah. So the, the space to play, the intentionality around play and, and what you just said about the need, desire to be noticed. I, I, and they're just simple moments. And they go such a long way. The other day, Lisa just wrote a note, just a, a two sentence note. And I thought, oh, the, those are the impactful mm-hmm. moments, you know, that, uh, that, that are, that are playful. I think there's, there's, doesn't have to be a distinction, but I think the playful moments are also the connecting moments uh, mm-hmm. for us, especially as a three, four. Yeah. And you mentioned being a healing balm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what we need in order to do the hard work of these things we're talking mm-hmm. about, because they do take energy to listen to the other, to be curious. Sometimes we're just exhausted. You know, we've had so much on our plate or, yes. or we have something to do tomorrow, but all of a sudden these stories are coming up and we have to stay up a little later. So I think mm-hmm. if we've had some of that healing balm, it just gives us that energy like, okay, I can, I can lean into this hard work because it is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And so it, it keeps the balance because otherwise you're just going to keep doing hard work and and now there's more hard work and now there's another conversation and, you know, it, it really is never going to end. Right. And so you have to be intentional. Like, okay, we're taking a break. We're just going to have some fun. And it's not just take a break, go do your work, you know, because no. that doesn't feel good either, no. but we're going to yeah. celebrate. We're just going to play. You, your kids need that. Everybody needs that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think couples tend to, I don't know, be hesitant to take that kind of a break and it's so vital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for giving people that advice in I just don't think there's anything like you said that can replace it. You can't say, well, more work will replace it or we'll process our stories more. It's like the stories are beautiful, but you need to play as well. So even just saying, thank you so much. We, we did a pretty good emotional root canal. Let's really yeah. take the next two days where we don't do any deep conversations or even just the next half hour. So depending on the couple, that's always different. If you've got a six in there, they're going to want a little longer, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but tell our listeners how they can get in touch with more of your beautiful work with couples. Cause you guys have been working with couples uh, more recently in your center. So we want to hear about that, but also longer term. So please feel free free to tell us more about yourselves now. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, most, if not all of our information can be found on our website. That's called the reconnectinstitute.com. Lisa and I also have a, a, a marriage podcast. It's called the reconnect marriage podcast that, that mm-hmm. can be found as well. Love and it. Then, okay. Yeah. We just started offering our in-person marriage workshops again. So we, wow. we travel to churches and other organizations and we sit with them for you know, a day or, or two days sometimes and, and work through categories around conflict and shame and play uh, and attachment. And, and, and we just, I, I think it was maybe six months ago, finished an online workshop as well. So that's available and that's, there's more info on our website as well. Okay. Wonderful. And you guys invite couples right out to you as well. It sounds like. 
Uh, we do. Uh, we just we were about um, to, and then the to, pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're just starting that where we're going to be able to invite people in person again here uh, in a setting that I think really invites play, but also invites connection for couples. Yeah. So. We finished the barn like right at the beginning of the pandemic. So before that, we were at churches or church retreats or you know different settings where we would go and do the workshop. But our t- intention was to hopefully be able to do it here. To be but, able to host them here. But mm-hmm. Steve's been able to do intensives. So that's another thing. That, so it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just mm-hmm. for one couple, if they really want to do some intensive work. Mm-hmm. But we bring lunch and they can mm-hmm. be out here at the barn and, yeah, and right. then they stay like maybe in a hotel or something. And We've enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun Aww. to be able to host that and bring yeah. healing to some couples. And yeah, It really is meant to be a, a we approach to the work. I think that's part of our hope over the years is that marriage work for us uh, is meant to be a team and meant to be collaborative. Uh, in terms of what we offer those that that desire healing and connection. Mm, I'm so glad this is just in, it's totally different than the work I do. And yes, there's commonalities, but it's, there's a rich component when you get to do these marital intensives. And I've been looking for somebody who does good marriage intensives. So now I'm extra excited to share this episode. So Thank you guys. This, this is a very trustworthy couple and it's wonderful for us to get to hear this, all of this today. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you, Krista. So, so much appreciate it. And it's been such a privilege. Yeah. We're very, very thankful for the work that you do and, and excited to learn more about it too. It's just how we bring out the best in one another. It's just such a great, great perspective. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow, to be that in touch with so many couples over 20 years and to be a psychologist who's truly given his entire life to marriage and then 34 years of marriage plus going strong. This is somebody you want to listen to. And I love the title of his book, Reconnect. I love books that start with R-E and I think that those, uh, because we're reclaiming. And so I love that you can grab his reconnect book, or if you need a couple's intensive, make sure you visit with the reconnectinstitute.com. Or if you want to find Instagram, because I know some of you just love Instagram, you can go to reconnect marriage at IG, or you can also find their new podcast, which is called Reconnect Marriage Podcast. And I've really enjoyed what I've heard from the podcast so far. And I'm kind of a podcast snob because I just don't have that much time. And I know a lot of you are that way too. You have to pick a few podcasts and thank you for picking this one. So please also, if you want even more marriage tools, the Reconnect Marriage Podcast and take a look at what they've got going on over there. And you might see some depths that you are missing. I hope so, because that's our goal is to get you guys as strong as possible out there so you can use your gifts intentionally and grow together and get stronger as a couple and as an individual and as a family. So have a great week, you guys. I hope your 4th of July was a blast and I hope you get to have another great week too. Bye-bye.